0: Turn with me to John chapter 13. I'm going to continue with our our sermon series in John today. Obviously, next week we will not be in our John sermon series because it's Vision Sunday. As you're turning there, if you're a guest, thank you for being with us today. There's a card in the front of your seat. If uh, you wouldn't mind grabbing that and filling it out. And at the end of service, if you could take it to Miss Emily, right there in the back, she's waving. Um, she'll she'll handle that for us. We would love to stay in touch with you. John chapter thirteen, and I actually want to start in verse thirty-five. It says this: By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another I'll say it again by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love everyone say love say love oh yeah oh lovey-dovey uh love for one another it's interesting this is a this is a great little verse this is one of those verses you might see uh on the wall in a restroom with flowers or something on it um, What's interesting is the verses preceding this aren't real lovey. Let, let's back up. Let's back up. Let's go to verse 21, and let's read a few verses here, and then, then I'll stop, and we'll get into this. Chapter 13, verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. You never see that on a bathroom wall with all the flowers on it, do you? Disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he Whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped his morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought, because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. This is this is an intense passage. Uh, this is one of those passages. If you've if you've grown up in church, you might read it and okay, that happened. Judas, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Um, there's this this meme that the teenagers. Uh, listen to and, and one of them it, it ends talking about Judas and I heard these kids in my class the other day quoting this meme and Judas like saying that at each other I was like do you do you know what that means do you even know who Judas is they're like no it's just funny to say I was like well Judas is actually a guy he was a betrayer in the Bible like he betrayed Jesus And they were like someone betrayed Jesus I was like yes betrayed him with a kiss they were like what and they're like oh that meme makes so much more sense now I was like they don't even understand what they're saying Um, Judas is someone that we all love to hate it's interesting to me as we read this though uh, the disciples didn't love to hate Judas Um, I want us to look at a few things let's back up to verse 21 before we dive deep into Judas and who he is I want you to See in verse 21, it says, after saying these things, and we're going to back up to what these things are. Anytime you're studying the word of God and you come, or it says after or therefore, anytime you see therefore, you need to back up and see what it's there for. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Jesus was what? Troubled, but he's Jesus. It's it's weird to me. Here's the, the Son of Man, God in the flesh, and He's, he's troubled. Have you ever been troubled before? I, I've been troubled before. You've been troubled before, and the super spiritual people come up to you, and they're like, hey, you shouldn't be troubled. You have Jesus. Well, that's tough when Jesus Himself sometimes was actually Himself troubled. Uh, if you actually... Look at this word in the Greek, it means to be troubled, it means to be deeply agitated. This isn't just a little bit like, you know, like you, you ordered a hamburger with no cheese and it came with cheese on it and now you're troubled. It's not that kind of trouble. This is Jesus, what is he troubled about? He's troubled that he's about to be betrayed. He's troubled for the condition of Judas's heart and soul he's troubled we we see this earlier if you flip a page back to verse 27 of chapter 12 jesus actually says it out he says now my soul is troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour but for this purpose i have come to this hour father glorify your name and so jesus is saying look We have a choice sometimes. The choice is we could say, oh, God, save me from the trouble, or we can pray, God, glorify your name. Even when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He was troubled to the point of sweating blood, which is a rare medical occurrence. that only happens in the most stressful of situations. So here, Jesus is, is troubled. Why is he troubled? Because one of you will betray me. And it's easy for us when we're reading the Gospels. Anytime Judas gets mentioned, it seems like they say, they, you know, like Judas, parentheses, the one who will betray Jesus. like They make that very, they point that out. But when you go back and read the Gospels, they didn't realize it at the time. It wasn't until later like, oh yeah, he was going to betray Jesus. In fact, it's, it's, it's kind of funny in Matthew and Mark, even here actually, if we look in verse, what is it? Um, it says in verse 22 it says, they were uncertain of whom he spoke. One of you will betray me. Well, who is it? Matthew and Mark say they started saying, well, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Notice that none of them said, oh, it's Judas. We've been watching that guy for a while. It's totally him. Look at the way he handles the money bag. You just know it's going to be him. It's the dark hair and the dark makeup under the eyes. Like, that's how I knew it was him. Like, when you see Judas in any kind of play or television series or anything, you're like, okay, that one's Matthew. That one might be Mark. Or there's Peter, maybe. Um, Oh, that's definitely Judas as i was watching the show the other day and they introduced judas and you didn't find out to the end of the episode that judas was judas and i was shocked i was like well i kind of liked him and they're like he's like hi i'm judas and he was like oh my gosh he was so nice he's totally going to betray jesus this is bad this is really really bad i think it's i think it's also interesting that I believe these men have been discipled enough by Jesus that their heart's cry was not, well, which one of them is it? Their heart's cry was, is it me? Is it me? Like, could it be me? I don't think that's a normal human reaction. I think that's only the reaction of someone who's walked with Jesus for a while. When people bring up sin, when you hear a really difficult message, you don't say, man, I hope, hope my wife's listening to this. hope my husband, I hope my kids are listening in. I hope the guy that I won't sit next to across the, the church is listening to this. That There's no one like that here. Instead, when we hear a difficult sermon, we say, you, this is for me. Like, this is for me. Is it me, Jesus? They didn't suspect Judas at all. It says in verse 29, it says, Some thought that Jesus, Judas was just going out and buying things for their feast. That he was just going to go. They thought he was going to go give money to the poor. They thought he was going to do something good. They didn't suspect. And Jesus would just say, one of you is going to betray me. And then Judas pieces out, and no one goes, oh, it was him. They still didn't suspect him. I said, when we're reading a passage, if there's ever a time where you need to back up and look, to back up and look, verse 21 says, after saying these things, after saying what things? Well, we're going to back up. I'm going to walk into some of Pastor Steve's sermon that he got into about washing feet. Some of you are like, are we going to have a foot washing around here? I'd prefer not to. I don't like people touching my feet. But we will in a spiritual sense. How many vote? That's a good thing. Church vote, right? Um, we don't do that, right? Verse 2. After saying what things? Look at verse 2 of chapter 13. Let's back up. It says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, that's Jesus, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and took up a towel. He tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and wiped them with a towel that was wrapped around them. And, and I want you to get this because the order of the story is important here. I notice from the order of the story that Jesus is washing the disciples feet at the beginning of chapter 13 and he's identifying his betrayer at the end of chapter 13. And when you look at that, that means Jesus had to wash Judas's feet. But then John wants to make it very clear about something. John doesn't want to leave anything up to the imagination. He incorporates verse 2 and 3 there to say, not only did Jesus wash Judas' feet knowing he would betray him, like, he really knew what Judas was about to do. He knew Judas was about to stab him in the back. He knew Judas was going to the officials to lead them to Jesus so they could take him away to be crucified. Like, what we're talking about is Jesus' hour has come. Well, he'll be nailed to a cross. And Judas is going to be the catalyst. He's going to be the thing that gets the whole thing set into motion. Judas. Judas who had seen all the things that we've read about so far in John. Judas who, who saw Jesus turn the water into wine. Judas who saw the, the man at the pool of Bethesda be, be raised up. Like Judas. Judas, who saw that entire Samaritan village come to Christ, like give their lives to the Lord. This is Judas. All the things that we've looked at, Judas has seen it, and so it's mind-blowing to the disciples that Judas would betray Jesus. I, I know... I know sometimes it's hard for us when we've really loved someone well and they still walk away from us. That's, that's really tough. Like it's really hard when you've done everything you can to show kindness and goodness and grace and mercy and love and even tough love to someone and they just push you away anyway. Like it's, it's hard as a pastor when you've Really tried to reach out to someone's life and they're like, Yeah, I'd rather go do my own thing. You're like, it hurts. It always hurts. Some of you've had had kids or family members that, man, you, you just really keep trying to point them to Christ and they just reject everything and run the opposite direction into the world. And I gonna tell you this this morning: like, if anyone had a perfect pastor, it was Judas. We talked about D groups. Judas had the perfect d-group leader. And he still chose the world. He still chose to walk in the plan of the enemy. If maybe it brings a little freedom to your heart for you to know the only thing you're responsible to walk in are the things God has called you to walk in. You're not responsible for the choices of the people around you. And so if you're struggling this morning with some heartache for someone that you've tried to love well, and they keep pushing back, I'm going to tell you this morning, keep loving well. Like Jesus, he washed Judas's feet. Can you imagine that moment? Like washing feet is kind of weird for us, you know, whatever. But in that culture, in that day, as they walk through the dusty, poopy streets of Jerusalem, it was usually the job of the ser- ser- servant to wash the feet of everyone around. And that's why it was shocking when Jesus did this, right? Jesus was the master. Jesus was the teacher. He was the rabbi. He shouldn't have been getting down on his hands and, and feet and washing the disciples' feet. And yet, he did. And, and I like this is amazing to me. Like, Talk about confidence in your identity. Confidence in your identity. Some people won't do stuff because it's beneath them. What Jesus is showing is that's insecurity. Jesus, he's God in the flesh. There couldn't be a more confident person. And he's so confident, he's like, you know what? I'm going to wash these jokers' feet. And are they jokers? Yes. Because if you look in the other gospels, they're going to get into this argument about which one of them is the greatest like, here they are Think about it. You're Jesus. It's your last meal with your disciples. You're, like, this is the longest, like, discourse we have of Jesus communicating his disciples. He's trying to teach them all the things that's like the last cram session before the final, right? Like, I really need you guys to know some things. In the middle of all, they start arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And so Jesus is like, I'll handle this. Whips out a towel, gets down on his... Knees and starts washing their feet. I'll show you who's greatest. I'll serve you. And it's here in this context that Jesus looks at Judas and serves him. It's it's easy to serve people who are grateful and love you that's fun and and by the way you should say thank you to people if they're doing nice things for you right like we should honor people well but truly capturing the heart of Christ is to serve someone that's going to hate you for it like I'm going to love you I'm going to serve you and you're going to hate me and yet I'm going to love you anyway this is the heart of Christ are you with me this morning Robert, I should have had you play again this morning. It's it's awfully quiet in here this morning. Verse 14, it says, If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Now, this morning, obviously, we're not talking about the actual physical washing of each other's feet. We are talking about a heart of service to one another, to prefer one another, to think of others better than you. And the scripture says to love your neighbor as yourself. I I did a lesson. I I teach a community service class at school. It's really big on service. Um, It's part of the name of the class. And uh, so they're wanting us to incorporate more reading and writing into all of our classes. And I'm like, how can I incorporate more reading into my class? I was like, oh, I'll give them an article about service. And I Googled a few, and I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give them a story about serving. So I gave them the story that this Jewish rabbi taught this religion scholar that we still use in American law today. It's called the Good Samaritan. Have you ever heard it? Of over 100-something only five kids had ever heard the story of the Good Samaritan. Yeah, crazy. And so I I gave them the story to read, and then we discussed service. It was really interesting to me. Some kids didn't even know what the word service meant. They thought it was like, like when you get in trouble because you were smoking weed, and now you have to go and clean the restrooms at the community center. That's service okay that's yes that could be service but we looked at that story of the good Samaritan of of helping a stranger right that was the whole catch of the story it was like well you got to love your neighbor as you love yourself that's well, who's my neighbor? Well, it's only the person next to me, right? I only have to love the person next to me. I don't have to love the person far away. But that was the whole point of the story. Jesus was saying, your neighbor is the person that's, even the, the foreigner from far away is your neighbor, the Samaritan. We, we twist scripture. We, we heard it say, uh, Michaela referred to it when she was talking about d We twist scripture sometimes. We say, well, we've got to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we twist it and say, well, I just don't love myself enough yet, so I need to work on loving me first. That's twisting scripture, folks. Listen, you love yourself plenty. You know how I know? We decided to do a Daniel's fast as a church, and people were like, you mean no sweets for a month? You love yourself plenty. We love ourselves, even if you struggle. I'm not saying there's not people in here who struggle with with some things in your heart. There are people who have like maybe some depression going on or some things that you don't like about yourself. You're working through them. We want to walk with you through those things. But you take care of yourself. I look around. Most of you took a shower this morning and combed your hair. You loved yourself. And the scriptures call us to love our neighbor as we love ourself. Let's skip down to verse 31 and Robert, can you go ahead and come on up? I don't know if I'm close to done. It's just really quiet today. Maybe I am almost done. We'll see. Let's look at verse 31. When he, that's Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him and himself himself. glorify him at once and this goes back to what he said in chapter 12 can i choose to save myself or for god to be glorified can i choose to stop judas or let things play out so god can be glorified little children yet a little while i am with you you will seek me and just as i said to the jews so now i also say to you where i am going you cannot come and we're going to get into that here in a couple weeks And he says, a new commandment I give to you. Everyone say, new commandment. Everyone say, new. New. A new commandment I give to you. Okay, so this is going to be brand new, fresh, right? Straight off the press. I'm ready for this. Because they had like 600 some odd commandments they had to follow. So let's hear what this new commandment is. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Well, wait a minute. If you look in Leviticus 19.18, it says this exact same thing. It says, to love one another, to love your neighbor. So how is this any kind of new commandment? If you look in the Greek, this word new, it doesn't mean new like as in, hey, I got a new car. It means new as in renewed, like fresh. A fresh commandment what he's saying is let me take something that's become old and burdensome to you and let me breathe some life into it and refresh it for you so you can see it differently now see before it was all if i keep all the rules then god will love me if i get everything right then then maybe god will accept me if i don't break his commandments But all that law was to do is to show us that we can't ever get it all right. We were always going to mess up. Like, there's not a perfect person. If you look around this room today, there's not a perfect person in the room. Jesus came and he said, listen, I fulfill those commandments. I fulfill these laws. See, the reality is, I'm not trying to get you to, let's keep all the commandments and then I'll accept you. It's, listen, surrender your life to me. Just surrender it. Give me your life. And if you can truly get this one refreshed commandment to love your neighbor, this is all the commandments summed up into one thing. That's what it tells us in Romans. Like Romans chapter... I think it is it says all the commandments of the Old Testament are summed up into something really simple, love your neighbor as you love yourself, just just love other people, start there stop trying to earn God's love and just love other people the way God has loved you the scripture tells us that we love because he first loved us so if you don't know the love of God, you can't love in a more perfect way Then the verse we started with, it says, by this all people will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. And and then what he's going to do next, and we're not going to get deep into this right now, he's going to look at Peter and say, Peter, you're going to deny me. And this is important. This is an important thing. Jesus is teaching them to love one another after Judas just betrayed him and he's about to tell everyone that Peter is going to deny him. This is important. Cuz if I'm having a D group and I'm hanging out and I have you know I have Wes and I have Brennan and I have Nick and we're all sitting around and I say Brennan Brennan's going to he's going to deny me. The Nick and Wes, man. In the natural if we didn't have Jesus, they're going to start hating on that guy. Oh, you're going to deny Jesus. And then he actually does it. And then now we really hate Brennan. Because he denied a friendship. Can you imagine being in that room and Jesus is like, oh, Peter's going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, I won't. Yeah, you will. And then he does. And if you don't have the heart of Christ, then the other ten disciples are like, Uh, Peter's no longer part of the group because he denied Jesus. Except for one thing. Right before, right before Jesus says this about Peter, he says this, love one another as I have loved you. And this is a different kind of love. This is not a love based on your performance. This is not a love based on how great you've done this week. It's not love based on did you yell at your kids this week or did you keep your cool? How many swear words did you say? How many times did you screw up? It's not that kind of love. It's a different kind of love that starts with the heart of the Father and ends with sacrificial service to those around us. See, when you have the kind of love that will wash the feet of an enemy, you have a love that can forgive someone even when they do things like deny you or push you away. Is it an easy kind of love? Like, oh, yeah, I just forgive them. I love them. No, it's a troubling kind of love. Like, that's what we started with in verse 21. Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Why? Judas is going to betray him. Peter's going to deny them. And these jokers, I'm trying to teach them about love. And all they can do is argue about which one of them is the greatest. So our heart this morning is to have the heart of the Father. To have the heart of Jesus. And, and this is where the rubber meets the road. How far did Jesus' love go? It went all the way to the cross where Jesus dies on the cross for our sin and our shame. Like it's a sacrificial love. This kind of love will kill you. Like loving people till it hurts. Loving people when it's inconvenient. And like we're kind of good at this with our kids, right? Because what do our kids do? They get sick in the middle of the night and they're they're throwing up all over their bed. Right, and they make a mess, and all this stuff. And what do we do? We we don't throw them out on the front porch and say, "Good luck," you know. Um, Hope the wolves don't get you. We we clean them up, we hold them, we we get the bed all picked up and washed, and then they just do it again. And what do we do? We clean it up again. Like we serve that. We know this kind of love with our kids. But what if it what if it wasn't your kid? What if it was the person across the room in the congregation? What if it was the person in your D group? I heard a testimony of a young woman about a month ago, and she talked about a, a time when she was struggling with infertility issues and finally thought she'd gotten it figured out where they could maybe have a kid and the moment they figured it out, her husband said, Well, I just want a divorce. And it crushed her. And she called a sister in her church. And it wasn't her sister. It was a sister in Christ that she called in the church. And she said one thing to her. She said, do I need to pack a bag day of the night with you? Like, that's the heart of Christ. Like, yeah, I have other things going on, but you're hurting. So I'm coming to walk with you through this dark time do this pain and and i'm gonna say when covid hit and i heard all these other pastors talking about my church is shrinking my church is everything's declining and that didn't happen here and i think it's because people kept checking on each other and loving each other well and, and people kept reaching out to each other i i do blame a lot of it on this, our discipleship groups our d groups really did a great job on checking on each other But it was more than, it was the heart of Christ. Can I I tell you, like, D groups isn't some magic thing. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is people having the heart of Christ for one another. That's, That's the magic thing, if you will. It's people just saying, I'm going to be Jesus to you, even if you deny Jesus. Even if you betray him. Even if you betray me. Even if you stab me in the back. Uh, I want to turn real quick to Hebrews chapter twelve. Because I, I want to also say that this kind of love is not a love that just gives permission for everyone to do everything. In Hebrews chapter 12, let's look at verse 5. It says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that is addressed to you as sons? And then it goes into this little quote, poem, if you will. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. In verse 11, it tells us, for at the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The, the key there is you have to be willing to be trained by it. Right? We, we live in a world that wants to take this message I've just preached about, the love of Jesus, and they think that it means just permission for anybody to do anything they want. Go back and read Romans chapters 1 and 2. And it lists all these sins that people will be judged for by God. Like, here's the reality. Sin is a real thing, and the wrath of God is coming against sin. And I'd encourage you, go read Romans 1 and 2. But then it goes on to say, like they, they think that the kindness of the Lord, the love of the Lord, is permission to keep sinning, not realizing it says that the kindness of the Lord is meant to lead to repentance. That word repentance means a changing of their mind. So is God love? Does He love you just the way you are? Absolutely. But that's not... So you can continue walking in whatever thing you think is okay for you to walk in. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to abuse his grace. Romans chapter 6 will go on to say, just because we have grace doesn't mean we get to keep on sinning. A true heart that's surrendered to this kind of love does a couple things. First, you cease from sinning and start serving Christ. Not to earn his love, but because you've already experienced it. This is what's so good. Like, if my wife says, hey, I, the, the dishes need to be done. I don't go do the dishes to try to earn more of her love. No, I just go do the dishes because I love her. Those are two different postures of heart. Same, looks the same on the outside. Two different postures of heart. We do nothing to earn God's love. But because we love him, we're surrendered to him the trick comes when we interact with the people of the world and sometimes we're shocked that the world acts like the world well i can't believe all this sin is going on in the world well i can't they don't have christ the world is going to act like the world so now here's our catch how do we love the world like jesus does without without And here's, here's all I know to say, is that we have to start by loving each other well. Notice Jesus said, this is how they'll know you're my disciples, by your love for each other. But like, he's talking about love inside the church, inside the discipleship, inside what they call at the time, the way. Like he's talking about love inside the community of Christ first. And then that love spills out into the community. We're not going to agree with everything the world does. And the world thinks, if you don't agree with me, then you don't love me. That is not true. And don't fall into that trap. What I've learned about being in a great church like this one is you can disagree and still love each other very well. There's people sitting in this congregation. I disagree with you very much on some things. Wes had to get up because he knew I was going to mention Alabama. I disagree. No one should be an Alabama fan ever. And there's other things, important things we disagree about. But when you have the love of Christ, you say, you know what? You're just another part of the body. And there's unity in the body of Christ. Will you stand with me? And just bow your heads for just a moment. Just Let's take a minute and just reflect. Because this, to love like Jesus did, is, is heavy. What is loving like Jesus? It's serving people who hate you. It's washing the feet of people who will betray you. It's showing kindness to people that will never show kindness back who will deny you, will push you away. Some of them will return. Peter returned. Some of them never will. Judas never did. And it's going to lead to some nights where you go to bed with tears in your eyes because you're troubled in your heart because serving people like this hurts and sometimes they don't appreciate you the way they should. But can I tell you, you're storing up treasures in heaven that God sees. And He s- sees your heart when it's struggle- struggling. He sees your heart when it's trouble. I think the greatest thing in this is that Jesus responded to the situation with Judas by teaching His disciples how to love. Like Jesus is like, No. No, the the enemy doesn't get to win this moment. Yeah, Judas is going to betray me, so let me respond to the kingdom of darkness by teaching my disciples how to love well. And so when you encounter darkness, when you encounter the enemy, because remember, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You have an enemy. It's not your spouse. It's not your kids. You have an enemy. And we respond to darkness with light, with truth of the Word of God. This morning, I want to give an invitation to this altar area. If I could get some leaders and elders to come. If this morning you say, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, Jesus' love to the point that it killed Him, the story doesn't stop there. This morning, we believe with our whole heart that three days later Jesus rose from the dead, and today He is alive. He is alive, and He will return again. So this morning, if, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, ask you respond and just come pray with one of these individuals, the prayer is not magical, it won't save you, but your heart posture to the King of Kings is what saves you. If this morning, if you say, Maybe I have served my life to Christ, but I need help loving somebody. Maybe there's that one person that you struggle loving well. These guys, they don't just want to pray with you. They want to, to speak some word into you to encourage you. And in those situations, that's where it's really great to have a, a man or woman of God to walk with you and say, Hey, I'll encourage you this week. But I just want to open up this altar. If you have any sickness in your body or any other needs that you just want to pray for, if there's someone that's lost and you want to, someone agree with you in prayer, we're just going to worship for a second and then we're going to open up these altars for anyone who needs prayer.